Hello everyone and welcome to the very 79th episode of Octothorpe. This episode is coming to you on the 16th of March 2023. I am John Coxon. I am Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. John, are you doing your best presenter voice in a mid-to-be-on match of the day or something? (laughs) We stand with Gary Lineker because he's a legend and he's the only match of the day host whoever sold vegetables on Leicester Market. The BBC's announced there's going to be no punditry. Uh, I woke up and it was like everyone saying, I'm not going to do it. And then Ian Wright saying, well, I'm not going to do it. And then everyone else followed by saying, well, if Ian Wright's not doing it, we won't do it either. And the commentator's like, well, we won't commentate. And I woke up to all this and it was like, yeah, that is an overnight clusterfuck, isn't it? Anyway, sorry, off topic. <laughs> yup. Did, did, did you see Did you see that Joe Lysett said, I'll do it? Yes. Yeah, I really want I really want Joe Lysett to do it so much. I love I love them so much. I I think they'd be great because I'm sh- I'm also sure that Joe Lysett does not know a whole lot about Premier League football. But he does know a whole lot about being right wing. He does. Right. Uh yeah, anyway, we're going to do a podcast. Anyone who's not British is like what is going on and we're going to refuse to explain. Sorry American listeners. Just Google uh oh no i can't imagine there's going to be a single sensible roundup of this that incorporates everything we just said we have letters of comment i wanted to come back to a letter of comment from raj on episode 77 because i didn't say something and then i regretted not saying something which is that uh when i had been discussing ms marvel and representation i'd had conversations with a couple of people who had doubted whether or not ms marvel would be good representation for people who were not american like basically for members of the Pakistani diaspora from around the rest of the world. And Raj did say in his episode 77 lock that he really enjoyed Ms. Marvel and he thought it was great for representation and it was nice to see people who looked like me represented in genre fiction in the MCU no less. And Raj, to the best of my knowledge, is not a young girl living in New Jersey, being as how he is a man who lives in Glasgow. We also heard from other people, Bridget, for instance. Yeah, so Bridget came on Café Moose, which is um, my regular weekday Zoom thing, and said, can I give you a lock here on Café Moose? And we said, if you must. <laughs> we said, yes, that would be lovely. We, we, did not, we did not grumble. John said, yes, that would be lovely. And I said, oh, I'm not sure I'll remember it. But luckily, John wrote it down. So there we go. And mm. um, Bridget said, fandom has great policies for things. But individual people in fandom can be obstreperous and obstinate and obstructive. And this is very true. This is why we have great policies, honestly. It's true in a lot of places, to be honest. Yeah, it is not not just fandom, but it is definitely true of fandom. Oh, I think there's a, there's a particular streak of, of stubborn in fandom. You might be right. We also heard from Christopher J. Garcia. Who's a legend like Gary Lineker. Unanswered several of our queries about um, sentences which he left halfway through in the uh, in his last letter of comment. Yep. Uh, and so he recommends the single best thing he watched last year, a film called Big Book, which is, according to the internet, a French science fiction black comedy film that you can watch on Netflix. So... Mm. That sounds like a good shout, actually. Mm. So it might be worth watching. I certainly have not watched any recent French black comedy science fiction films. So I might give that a go. It was Chris who showed me OSS Sandy Set for the first time, which is a delightful and ridiculous French movie, which I did wholly enjoy. It was not Chris that showed me Brice. And honestly, Chris, I will never forgive you because Brice is the best movie in the world. 
and the only reason I want the Worldcon to be in Nice. Brees is the word. And if anyone is listening who hasn't seen Brees, you should go see it because it's very good and extremely silly. Do we want to get into Chris's comment on the pronunciation of a particular word, which I think is now a running topic of conversation for three whole episodes? Yes. So. Chris is on team a mock rhymes with a lock. It's pronounced a mock if it follows the same pronunciation as a mock time, which I heard Theodore Sturgeon called a mock time in the before four times, back when he was alive. I'm not sure if his ghost says it the same. On the other hand, you pronounce Spock, Spork. So thanks, Chris. That is valuable input to the debate, as always. Yeah, I mean, I think pulling out the I heard Theodore Sturgeon say it card is a powerful argument there, Chris. Thank you. It conflicts with Laurie from Hugo Girl saying that she pronounces it a muck, but she fails to note which legend of the science fiction genre taught her this pronunciation. So can we really trust her? Yeah, Laurie, if it turns out that you learnt the pronunciation from, like, Ursula Le Guin, then... <laughs> what I now want to do next time we're at... Uh, when we're at the Glasgow World Con, is every time one of us bumps into a famous author, we just record on our phone how they say the word. We have it on a little sign, and we say, please read this word out, and we record it, and then we play them all on a future episode of Octothorpe. And we have ribbons. This would certainly be... The best use of Octothorpe's time interviewing famous authors at a Worldcon. Yup. I might do it to Adrian Tchaikovsky at Eastcon and see whether he's confused. We, we could ask them about a few different words while we're at it. Could we? What else do we disagree on? Mothia. <laughs> Thank you to Kurt Phillips, who once saw me eat a cheeseburger. I don't know whether I want to unpack that or not. Um, well, we're just going to leave it there. I think so. I also like that Kurt says, I find that I agree with most everything you all said. Thank you, Kurt. Hey. On the subject of agreeing, he says, he assumes over the next episode or two of Octothought, we'll start making Hugo Award suggestions, and that will surely give him something to disagree with. He says, I'm sure you'll do your best for me. (laughs) And yes, we will attempt to be opinionated. Obviously, we're usually very diplomatic and unopinionated, so it is hard, but we'll try. Yeah, I mean, usually we all agree with each other all of the time. Yup. Makes it very difficult to do a podcast. Do we? When do we, appear, when do we agree with each other? <laughs> <laughs> I love jokes. I love the whooshing noise they make as they speed by. Uh, and he does make some comments about uh, the, the Chengdu Worldcon. <laughs> Will there ever come a day when fans read or hear that name without a cold finger of dread playfully poking us in our hippocampus? Well, we're going to do our best with our regular Chengdu segment right up until October and probably beyond. Yes, good segue, Liz. Our regular segment about Chengdu uh, is beginning to have more information and less whining uh, because this time Chengdu have opened Hugo nominations. Liz, do you want to summarise what is happening here? Chengdu opened Hugo nominations, which I know because they sent me an email about how Hugo nominations are open and how to nominate and I went to the website and logged in and nominated some stuff. So it's all working, guys. I was hoping you might go into more detail. Generally, the fact they've opened Hugo nominations would not be a big deal. It is a big deal, I guess, because it shows them doing something vaguely on time. And so it all makes us feel that maybe if they can open Hugo nominations on time, this is a sign you can maybe run a Worldcon. Uh, But also they have uh, a special clause, which is about um, conversion factors for Chinese language nominees. Because uh, four of the categories for the Hugo Awards have uh, word 
word count limits on them. So you break short story, novelette, novella and novella up by the number of words in a story. And this, in previous times, has always been used to mean English language words. And they have thought about this. And that since they're expecting nominations for items written in Chinese, they've decided that there will be a factor of 1.6 when converting. I don't know how they came up with that number, but I presume there's, there's some statistics about this somewhere that you can calculate what the conversion factor is for language. And so essentially a short story is, say, fewer than 7,500 English words or 12,000 Chinese characters. It seems like a very sensible way to do it to me. I mean, it's not in the constitution, probably because the constitution has never really had to think about that before. Um, I guess we've had world cons in, we have had world cons in other countries. I mean, the only one I think we've had that uses a non, not the same character set as English is in Japan. And then there were no Japanese language nominees. So it didn't have to get thought about, but this is clearly going to be a thing. And so it's good that they've announced this now, because then if you're nominating something in the Chinese language, you can put it in the right category straight away. Otherwise, you're going to have this horrible mess where there's tons of stuff nominated because it has 12,000 Chinese characters. And then they have to try and do a conversion factor and say, oh, well, actually, this should be a novelette and move everything around. And you'd also, presumably because the word limits are slightly different, end up with a lot of what we would think of as novellas that just get shoved in the novel category with everything else. So I think it's a good move to announce this ahead of time and probably something other world cons in the future will have to think about. So yes, my question was, how did they decide how many characters you got? And um, I googled very quickly while Liz was explaining and got 19 different answers ranging from 1.2 to 2.1. So you know, I think I think 1.6 is probably somewhere in the middle and they probably took some advice. Um, I do wonder, there are many other languages which use the same alphabet as English, but which are more or less compact. And I wonder whether this is setting an interesting precedent for <laughs> for items written in other languages. I mean, it does. I mean, I guess if you're a German world con, for instance, you might want to set one for German, but I don't know if the conversion factors for other languages are quite so dramatically different. Because the eight, average 8,000 word short story will translate into 14 German words. Yeah. So has there ever been a non-English language work nominated for Hugo? Uh, not in the f written fiction categories, I don't think. Because I was going to ask, when you said, like, about... You made a comment, I can't remember exactly what it was, Liz, but I was wondering, like, obviously this is the first time that um, there's been a likelihood of, of things written not in Roman characters. But I was curious as to, like, whether or not there had been anything that was in not, not in English uh, that had been nominated. Because I don't see why this precedent wouldn't hold if, if you had, like, a German book. I don't... I mean, unless it is very similar to English, which I don't know. Uh, so I'd be very interested to find out. I think it does depend language by language. There's also a 20% kind of wiggle room on the limits anyway, right? So if you're translating into a language that doesn't add a lot of verbosity or take it away, then it won't make a lot of difference and it should be within the limits anyway. It's when you get to things where the conversion factor is this high that I guess is an issue. I don't think there've been any fiction nominees not in the English language. I think we have had things nominated which were originally not published in English, but it was the English translation that was nominated. But I don't think anything that was actually not in English has been nominated in the in the written fiction categories. If I've missed something, again, experts should write in and let me know. But I feel I'm on steady ground with this one. 
Nebula nominees are out. Yes, we are all awards all the time this week. It's award season. Nebula Awards will be presented on the May the 14th, 2023, and there will be a live stream and in-person event as part of the 2023 Nebula Conference online. So I read a few of these stories, and I think you've read a few as well, John. Uh, yeah, I have. There's a couple of stories. So obviously there are uncanny stories in here. There's one that was nominated that I thought was very good uh, up until the end, at which point I thought that it really did just sort of not have an ending. It just sort of fizzled. Mm. Uh, And I find that very difficult with short stories because it's very easy to have a great setup for a short story and not stick the landing. It's interesting because the Nebula Award for Novella is only 60% Tor.com, which is a uh, shockingly poor showing uh, given previous award slates. But yeah, no, some interesting stuff. I suspect Babel and Nona the Ninth will be on the Hugo ballot. I suspect Nettle and Bone will be on the Lodestar ballot. I don't think it will be on the novel for Hugo. Might be wrong. I don't know what else will come up. It's not. It's usually like about half and half, right? There's usually about three that cross over. Is that fair? That's not based on any stats, listeners. That's based on gut intuition. Yeah, I'd have to do some stats. So, yeah. But I mean, my, I wonder if the mountain in the sea will make it because I have heard quite a lot of people talking about that, usually as a an unexpected thing that came out. Because, you know, I think everyone was expecting like Known in the Night to be a good and on there, but the mountain in the sea has come a bit out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I have read a few of the short fiction nominees and I thought they were mostly good, but not super amazing. But ones, they're mostly ones that I thought would be, you know, if I saw them on a short list, I would be happy with them being on a shortlist. Um, quite a few of them are from horror magazines and short story, which I don't tend to read, so I haven't read those. Yes, yeah, so this actually foreshadows something we will talk about later, but two of the novelettes are novelettes I will be nominating for the Hugo Award. I will talk about those when I talk about that. And one of them is one I might, and I think it doesn't overlap, but maybe that's too much foreshadowing. I would say I'm a little bit confused by how the Bradbury Award works for Dramatic Press Dramatic Presentation, because there's nominations for three complete series of TV shows and then one episode of Andor. So I don't quite understand how it works. You know, do all the nominations for different TV episodes get combined into one nomination for series, or do you have to explicitly nominate series? I don't know how it works. Um, and as discussed um, elsewhere with some friends, I don't really think our flag means death is particularly science fiction or fantastic. No. Um, as opposed to being a thing fans like watching, but I don't think it's, I mean I don't think it's going to win anyway because it's probably going to be a big fight between well, all the other nominees. To be honest, I'm confused by dramatic presentation because i'm confused ah am i confused are you confused john are you confused i'm a bit surprised that andor got nominated for one episode and like not the whole season but i guess that's just what people nominated i do think that's probably the best episode and then our flag means death definitely isn't science fiction and also definitely won't win so i think it's probably fine yeah also the nebula award for game writing is interesting it's Elden Ring, Horizon Forbidden West, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, Pentiment, Stray, and Vampire the Masquerade, Sins of the Spires. Sins of the Sires, sorry. Yeah, it's Vampire Book, The Sires, John. The Sires. I think it's fair to say that not all of these games have been well received for their gameplay. And I'm not going to say which one I'm thinking of particularly, <clears throat> but I can't pronounce it. 
I'm sure they will have extremely good writing. This is one of the things that makes the um, Nebula game category a bit different uh, from the proposed Hugo one, is that it very much focuses on the writing and not the gameplay. Um, but I hope Horizon wins, because Horizon's great. I'm sure Horizon will win. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure it will. I'm not. Because it is game writing. So really it's like, oh, instead of making a game, why don't you just tell a story in game form? Stray and Elden Ring are both like were both incredibly well received, so I wouldn't want to bet money that they wouldn't take it. So Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel is a Dungeons and Dragons anthology of one-shot adventure modules. I think it's 13 modules. I might be wrong about that. It's very tricky to evaluate how you compare the writing in a game that will take like 200 hours to play versus the writing in a series of one-shots that are designed for players to like interact with on the table. I have no idea how you make that judgment, but... But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that there's one tabletop product on there. Two tabletop products on there, right? No. Vampire the Masquerade Sins of the Sires is like an interactive Steam game. Oh, I see. Okay. That's why I was saying not all of them have been well received for gameplay, because uh, as far as I can okay. tell it is basically you occasionally click and it gets to the end of a very linear story, but perhaps a very well-written linear story. I really like Stray, but I think it's going to be hard to think about the writing as opposed to kind of how that interacts with the gameplay because would it be half as much fun if you were not a little cat rubbing up against robots um and getting pets and sleeping on little cushions and things but the writing's not really part of that it's just you get to be a little cat so we'll see anyway Shall we do the final, final part of our three-part award roundup uh, this week? The BSFA! Yes, the BSFA! We should say here that we would link to the BSFA website's list of the BSFA award nominees, but the BSFA does not have a list of the BSFA award nominees, so we're listing the file 771 instead. I feel like we said that in 2022. And we're going to keep saying it. Um... Yup. Some interesting stuff on here. Friend of the podcast, Fiona Moore, is nominated in Best Nonfiction for her book Management Lessons from Game of Thrones, Organisation, Theory and Strategy in Westeros, which one day we will talk about on the podcast. I am reading it. I haven't got to the end yet. I've been meaning to have it as pick for ages. Yeah, some other stuff as well. It's all very good. Very different to the Nebula shortlist, but that is often uh, the case. Yes, and also... I. I, I found it quite notable that Adrian Trzaskowski is nominated for Best Novel for, I think, one of his five novels out last year, maybe four. But you could conceivably have had an all-Adrian Tchaikovsky Best Novel shortlist. And the fact that we didn't is cowardice on the part of BSFA uh, nominators. Come on, guys. All Tchaikovsky, all the time. It would have been quite funny, and all the ones I've read were good anyway, and I'd be happy to have them nominated. So, yeah, come on, let's just do it. Yep. All Adrian, all the time. I'm hoping that they will do... They have done in previous years a little um, voter-like booklet for BSFA members. I'm kind of hoping they will do that because uh, I would quite like to see some of this gorgeous artwork before I actually cast my vote. And, you know, it'd be good if someone sent me a PDF of it rather than having to quote-unquote Google. Yeah, also I Googled and got the wrong book because there's one with, with, the, with the same name as a book which is nominated but is not the nominee. And so I got a bit confused. I was like, why is this on there? It's not science fiction at all. And it wasn't. Which one was it? It was The Way the Light Bends, because there's more than one book called The Way the Light Bends. Okay. 
Hi everyone, this is John. I'm recording this while I'm editing the podcast in a hotel room and I just wanted to let you know that the BSFA sent the voter pamphlet out shortly after we recorded. Now back to the episode. And we don't have any news on whether or not the how the voting is going to work. So No, you can probably vote for the awards. We can't tell you how, but you probably can. But yeah, BSFA members and Eastercon members are eligible to vote in the BSFA awards. So if you have, if you think, oh, I'm coming to the Eastercon, but it's never occurred to me to vote in the BSFA awards, you should be able to do that. Um, we haven't, I don't think we've announced how that's happening yet, but it will be. It looks like BSFA members can vote on the BSFA website, um, but only BSFA members. Oh, did we mention the Everything Everywhere All at Once prop auction last time? Mm, yeah, but we didn't put it out because it's in the weird bit. Oh, uh, okay. Because it has now closed. Ah. And it was $90,000 for Rakakuni. Oh, man, I could have afforded that. And also, the rock with googly eyes is a surprisingly big rock. <laughs> is it? Is it like? I thought it was a small rock. But it's got dimensions, and it's like a foot wide. Uh, yeah. £42, which in real money is about 20 kilos. Yeah, it's quite a big rock. Those are massive googly eyes. Auditor of the Month trophy was $60,000. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that you can see how that would be a great present for somebody. Yep, yep. But that also exists as being £2. That is like a not a very solid artefact. Rakakuni was two kilos and someone had to have it on their head. So, you know. That seems pretty light for an actual puppet. There is a shop on the prop auction site where you can buy things, uh, including the hot dog fingers gloves, like just for $36, which doesn't, it, not $36,000, just $36. So, you know. But that, that's merch rather than props. Oh, yeah, but I don't know anywhere else you can buy hot dog finger gloves. And you can get, for $35, an Everything Everywhere Pet Rock, which uh, comes in a little box that says Pet Rock on it. <laughs> this is great. Rock size may vary. Oh, oh, there's also a book. It is a pretty great idea to start selling the hot dog fingers. Yes. What? So basically, listeners, on the last episode when we recorded, we discussed the prop auction very slightly as part of a Hugo discussion we had that we have not yet put out because we're going to do it as bonus material. And so this discussion is sort of time difficult but there was a prop auction it's gone uh you just heard us talk about it but i will put a link in the show notes because there is also things you can just buy normally without spelling spending thousands of dollars so that might be of interest to people including the laughing rocks multiverse poster which is an image you can download and print out oh i kind of want that and and i think as alison has spotted there is a book basically about the multiverse but it's got a forward by Ted Chiang and a Douglas Adams quote in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, and a load of a load of interesting things. Three sto- short stories, um, all beginning with the same sentence, and parallel short fictions. And, and it looks quite an interesting book. So if anyone's got that um, and has read it, it would be great if you could talk to us about it. I don't know if there's an e-book. I don't think there's an e-book. I think it's just a... Uh... A giant hardback $50 one, unfortunately. Boo. It's kind of a giant hardback art book. Yeah. Three tip-in booklets, silver cold foil cover. Looks very nice, but also very heavy. Oh, 
they also sell official everything everywhere all at once googly eyes but they have sold out of those they've sold out <laughs> brilliant i don't feel the need to have official googly eyes i feel googly eyes are available in sufficient places that i don't need official branded googly eyes because i've already got googly eyes to put the rumba you put them on your you put them on your rumba i did i've got googly eyes on my rumba too Right, picks. Yeah. We'll go on then. Shall I go first? You can do. All right. My pick is Los Espookies, or rather the first series of Los Espookies, is an HBO comedy show about a group of friends who create kind of fake horror scenarios for people who pay them to do this. So they set up like a fake alien invasion and like um, a fake exorcism and, and things like this with their love of horror films and horror makeup and horror props. But it's also just unbelievably weird and I, I can't think of anything else quite like it it's spanish language for starters it is set in uh you know an unnamed latin american country but it's got things like you know they, they meet the american ambassador where everything is barbie pink and she has a load of sort of clean cut americans who can't do anything at all in the embassy and it's just all played very very straight while being completely weird and off the wall and it's just kind of lots of fun to watch and is not the sort of thing you would ever expect anyone to make a show about, but works really well. Anyway, I've watched series one because that is what's available on my streaming service. Series two is out, but I haven't watched it yet because I don't have it on streaming yet, but it was in 2022. So I'm going to try and get to it in case it is a, a potential Hugo nominee. And yeah, I just really enjoyed spending half an hour in this kind of strange universe where they're faking up horror things working through props and makeup and so on but also there is clearly like an actual real supernatural element going on someone possessed by a demon and a a cursed mirror and then you know they buy the cursed mirror like we told you to buy a non-cursed mirror like it's just all very kind of straight and day-to-day and john is laughing so i presume john has also watched lots of spookies and enjoyed it Um, it was so good he's like well i bought the cursed mirror because i'm spooky (laughs) this isn't helpful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like oh but the cursed mirror looked the best and they're like yes that's because it's cursed mirror yeah because <laughs> she's so cross and i yeah <laughs> i love <laughs> i don't want to spoil it but i love the way that plot line resolves the end of that episode is bloody brilliant no it's great it, yeah for all the reasons you have said just very very good it's fred armison in part it's julio torres anna fabrega and fred armison so Anna Fabrega plays uh, Tati and Julio uh, Torres plays Andres Valdez, who is the adopted heir to a chocolate empire. And uh, his parents, his parents are mysterious. I don't think that ever comes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so mysterious for no reason. They're just mysterious for no reason. You never see their faces. They're never shot full on. You always see them like obscured <laughs> by something. But there's no reason because they're just obviously completely like boring normal people but you only ever see them shot in a really mysterious way and it's never explained it's so weird and tatty like has she's being catfished but is she being catfished (laughs) but she is being catfished she she definitely thinks she's been catfished (laughs) yeah she's talking talking to talking to prince on the internet nothing we are saying makes any sense to any of you listeners i am so sorry but you you should watch this show because it is ridiculous or indeed to me <laughs> it's so good yeah high recommend yeah that's a good pick i i should have picked that as, at some point but i'm glad i waited until you picked it because it is good to have someone to 
basically just make completely incomprehensible uh, statements across one another. Yeah, we are those people going, oh, you remember that bit? Wasn't it really good, that bit? And then there was that <laughs> thing with the dog, and it was really good. And then, you know, there's a bit with the mirror, and yeah. People who do that are really, really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, I just zoned out, guys, so I hope that was interesting. Right, shall I do my pick? Or, John, are you going to do your pick? Yeah, what did you pick, Alison? I still haven't done um, very many genre-appropriate things, but I went last night to see Allegiance, which is a musical... Um, it is the passion project of George Takai, who was interned as a small boy as part of the um, internment of Japanese Americans in the Second World War. And he got some help and produced a musical about this. And it ran on Broadway for a short while and then closed and has had several revivals because of because of Takai basically going, no, 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 the, the, I really want this story out there. I really want it to be told. And it is currently playing until I think the 8th of April. Um, at the Charing Cross Theatre in London, which is technically not a West End theatre, though you would think it was in the West End. It's um, it's a very tiny theatre under the arches by Charing Cross Station. And the musical is, I think, it has mixed reviews. And I think I didn't think it was very good, but you might want to go and see it anyway. It's an important story. So if you don't know the story, then I think that's a good reason to go and see it and there are some good performances um and in particular Takai is very very good and very well worth watching and the man is 85 so if you would like to see him live on stage and afterwards go and meet him in the um queue at the stage door and get your program signed um they were very careful to say um we are only signing items from allegiance we are not going to sign items from any other show that any of the actors might have been involved in at any time then you can do that. And the tickets are not particularly expensive by London standards. I think there are £20 tickets for every show. But obviously, you know, it's hard to get those ones. But I think our tickets were about 40 quid, which is not unusual for, for which is not bad for London. And it's tiny theatre, so everyone has a good view. And so you might well want to go and see it because Takai's very good. And the man is 85. <laughs> you know, he's exactly the same age as my dad was, just about a month older than my dad. And one of the things we said at my parents' funeral was, oh, one of the things they kept telling us was we were brought up in the war, don't you know? And I think that is also very true of Takai and very relevant to this show. And it's possible that war didn't affect him in quite the way it affected my parents. I think it's a different experience. But it was interesting seeing that experience and having the relevance to it. So, yeah, enjoy myself. Thank you to Farah, friend of the show, Farah Mendelssohn, for sorting out that, that theatre trip. Weirdly related. I mean, it's not. I'm going to kind of have a bonus pick here. But if anyone hasn't read *Light Perpetual* by Francis Bufford, it's not really science fictional, but it's it's just kind of he imagines uh, an alternate world in which five children were killed during a a bomb attack in London in the war, and just imagines kind of the alternate universe if they lived, and it's about you know what their stories would have been, and it's just kind of very kind of sweetly written, kind of imagining you know these five people's lives with their ups and downs and and what would have happened to them if they'd grown up but they all died in 1944 and it's all fictional but it, i thought that was quite a nice novel from the past couple of years that's similarly about what would have happened if things were different i have read something since last time but i probably don't want to pick it in episode 42 listeners i'm sure you all remember episode 42 uh, it was i'm up for running control con I used to have a different face. Alison was going to Smofcon and Liz was in disguise. And we did picks and Liz picked 
a book by a man called Adrian Tchaikovsky. And it was an easy decision to pick a book by him because he's written half of all books. So, you know, you're going to end up picking one at some point. He's written the entire 2024 BSFA shortlist. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, and Liz picked Children of Ruin, I believe. Sounds quite possible. I read it. I'm current. I am currently reading Children of Ruin, but I'm not going to pick Children of Ruin because I have not finished it yet. But I am going to pick Children of Time, which we haven't picked before, and is therefore a completely cromulent pick. So, Children of Time is a good book. Children of Time won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. It was published in 2015. If you are an arachnophobe, I don't know whether you should read this book if anyone listening is an arachnophobe that has read it, please write in, because I would find that very interesting to hear. Liz is putting her hand up in a... I'm not a, I'm not a super arachnophobe, but like I will scroll past pictures of spiders on Facebook very, very quickly, and I read it and it was all right. Okay, that's good. So yeah, so this is a novel about spiders. It's a novel about a very strange lady and a planet which hasn't gone so well, and how that all pans out and it's incredible uh i think it was the first tchaikovsky novel i read um because i was like i should really read some by him because he's very good everyone says so and i decided to read that one because it was the one that won the clark but it is fantastic it has the benefit that children of memory has just come out which is the third in this series i'm reading children of ruin and it has been a while since i read children of time but children of ruin is also really really good so far uh, i have just reached the point where i think the shit has hit the fan uh, and i'm curious to see how it will be distributed but yeah it's just amazing and i highly recommend it so if you are thinking i should really read some tchaikovsky before eastercon and you are at a loss for which of his many books you should dive into i would highly recommend children of time as your entry point i think it would be a good pick for anyone in that situation and i i would say i think i mean i'd read uh empire of black and gold so i'd read smelly tchaikovsky before children of time but that seems to me to mark the point where i, th- I think his writing took a, a step up and also his kind of recognition and notice took a step up because that was the point where i think you started to see him really getting on award shortlists and you know i've seen it in shops with the little clark award winner logo on and everything so i think it's been doing quite well no children of ruin has a little sticker saying the previous book in this series won the clark award on it it's very nice also another little cheeky pick which is uh if anyone here listening is a fan of uh podcasts and also tabletop games there is an actual play podcast called force majeure and i'm not going to recommend the entire podcast i'm going to recommend a very specific sub part of the podcast which is that they have recently finished an arc well, i think they actually finished their main campaign so uh they have been doing some other stuff since they have finished they did a little four episode arc which is called the outer dark trilogy part two i admit i did not listen to the outer dark trilogy part one they played the first part uh using an osr system that i wasn't particularly interested in listening to so i didn't listen but the second part they played using the scum and villainy system which i was very interested in listening to because it's a sci-fi uh hack of uh blade in the dark and basically it has some of the usual suspects but it also has agent tchaikovsky who is very good and plays a very interesting character and it also has john robertson who does the dark room 
And if you have watched The Dark Room, you can imagine John Robertson role-playing and imagine how fun that might be. He plays a satire of an American author who likes guns too much, which I think I think he's doing Larry Correa. I think. Not sure. But very, very funny. There's a few. Yep, there are. Is, yes, it doesn't necessarily narrow it down to one, but it is very, very good. Um, so if you do like um, actual plays and people being ridiculous, uh, I would recommend listening to The Outer Dark Trilogy Part 2, Episodes 1 to 4. Uh, it's very good. And also, uh, another sneaky bonus pick, The Dark Room. If you get the opportunity to see The Dark Room, The Dark Room's amazing. I saw it at EastCon for the first time a while back. And um, and yeah, just if it's near you, go see it, because it is very funny. And it is SF Null foreshadowing that was the ultra thought podcast and it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me a short list of Science fiction novels you should not read if you're an arachnophobe. There's a few. Yep. Esther, if you're listening, that's my nomination for the Glasgow special category uh, for Hugo's best spider-related novel. Because, uh, you know, it's about time we had an all-Adrian Tchaikovsky Hugo category, so let's make it happen. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.